Hi, this is Pastor Ken Ortiz, and welcome to Real Answers to Real Questions. This podcast is designed to do just exactly that. In my 35 years of pastoral ministry, I've had hundreds of people, if not thousands, come to me with various questions, and frankly, it's so hard for people on a normal Sunday morning to come up and ask those questions. So we've created a format where you can submit your questions, and I'll do my best to provide you with as scripturally accurate an answer as I can to those questions. On the following shows, uh, Dan McMahon is going to be co-hosting with me. He has been my co-host for, with my radio program for many years, and he's a good friend. He's an elder in our church, and uh, we're going to just basically engage in a conversation as we go through the questions that you have submitted. All right, Ken, first question. Not sure if this is going to make sense, but here goes. As born-again Christians, we are told that whosoever believes in Him will not die, but have everlasting life. When we marry, it is commonly vowed, till death do us part. If we never die through belief, do we get to keep our spouses forever? Do we have those special companions in heaven to be with for all eternity? And then they finish by saying, I'm hoping for that idea. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So I'm thinking it's a newlywed? (laughs) I'm just throwing that out? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I think, first of all, we, we just need to make a distinction between uh, physical birth and death and spiritual birth and death, mm. that we understand that uh, this physical body is going to be put off. Paul says we put off this corruption, we take on incorruption. We put off the temporal, we put on the eternal. So uh, when God says that he who believes in me will never die, he's talking about the part of you that matters the most. It's not your body, it's your soul. Mm. That's kind of a hard or strange concept, kind of reach for many people intellectually, because in our culture, we're so body conscious and so body focused that many people mistakenly believe that their body is who they are. But I'd like to point out to people that if you look at a picture of yourself when you're 12 and a picture of yourself when you're 20 and a picture when you're 40 and a picture when you're 60, you realize that your body is not the same. It's changed dramatically. It's gone from the best to the worst. And... So to invest my sense of myself in who I am physically is, is really a, a poor, it pays very short-term dividends. Mm. And that's kind of like if I can even link that to the issue of a lot of the cosmetic stuff that people do and the way they are so concerned about trying to retain their youthful vitality. Well, let me revise that. I want to be vital all my life, yeah. but I don't necessarily have to look good. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> some, some people say that stopped happening a long time ago. <laughs> but nevertheless, it's, it's the idea that the body is not the important part of who I am. I am inside of my body. I remember my father telling me when he was 81, he was dying of cancer, and he said, I, I feel like a young man inside, but my body won't do what I tell it anymore. Mm. And that's the reality, that you don't feel the aging process inside of you. You feel a a maturing process in, inside of you, but the soul is that eternal dimension of you that doesn't age, and it is eternal. So the soul doesn't die. Yeah. The only question is, where is that soul going to spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell? And that's why I think sometimes people talk about, well, you just die and then you dissolve and become nothing, like the Wicked Witch of the West. You know, <laughs> The simple fact is that your soul is eternal. Your body will, from dust it came, dust it returned, but your soul is going to extend into eternity. Believing in Christ, being born again of the Spirit, brings life and eternal life into my soul and enables me to live for eternity. What God promises is that when I 
uh, it, when he comes back, he's going to give me a new body yeah. that is incorruptible and is eternal, uh, a body like his immortal body. So now let's tackle the marriage part. Mm-hmm. So when we die, we go to heaven, are we going to be with our spouses? Well, the, if they're saved, yes. Okay, <laughs> that's the first point. But secondarily, Jesus made it very clear. He said that the, you know the angels in heaven don't give and take in marriage, and we're going to be the same way. Mm-hmm. Are we going to have companionship? It appears that we're going to have companionship. Uh, but most importantly, I think we're going to fall in love, head over heels, uh, blindly obsessed with our Savior. Yeah. And he is, in the same way that the church is unified about its, its love for Christ, so also we're going to be unified in heaven for our love for Christ, our love for the Father, and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And the challenge is always trying to describe the heavenly reality with earthly material uh, images and illustrations, yeah. and it always falls short. We never really capture the reality. I, I tell people when we go through the book of Revelation, I said, you know, if it seems abstract and hard to grasp, that's because he's trying to describe what he's seeing in heaven with an earthly vocabulary that can't, can't. possibly give validation or description fully of what's there. So, yeah, I believe that I believe that my wife and I are going to be together in eternity. I believe I'm going to see my mom and my dad. Uh, I, I, I'm anticipating meeting them and encountering them and spending all of eternity with them. But the great unifying isn't going to be our love for one another, although I believe, because God is a loving God, and he put love in us that we will love one another. Mm-hmm. But what really organizes that love is going to be our mutual adoration and worship of our Father in heaven. And if our desire in heaven is to spend day and night worshiping him, um, there'll be little room left to be worshiping others. Yeah. I just, I just don't even see that kind of adder- worship of the individuals being that even... Even possible. Possible. Yeah. It's just, yeah. He'll, he'll be so overwhelming. And so, you know, there's a, a concern. If I love somebody and I want to be with them, I mean, I have family members who don't know Jesus, and the heaviest thing in my heart is that I want them to be with me in eternity, and they need to know Christ in order for that to happen. Um so, yes, I love them and I want to be with them, but I want to be with them as we're together. So it's kind of like going to a movie or a concert or some kind of event or going on a vacation with somebody you love. It's the shared experience that yeah. deepens the relationship. And I think that's what eternally is. It's a shared experience of being in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that's going to deepen our relationship with one another. And doesn't the Bible say that we'll be surprised by who's there and who's not there? Well, it doesn't exactly put it in those terms, okay. and I think that's more of a, a pastoral observation. Okay. <laughs> but it, you know what it does tell us is that eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never entered in the heart of man into the human imagination what we're going to see there. Yeah. Uh, I think that 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 observation is is really more uh, instruction and exhortation to the rest of us. And I think there's it's a truism that we need to understand that people aren't going to make it or not make it based upon our opinion of them. Mm. Right. It's going to be really, do they know the Father? And that's why someone had once said, you're going to be surprised who you meet in heaven one day. Uh, <laughs> most importantly, I'm going to be surprised that I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with the back of my robe smoking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. It says, I want to cultivate a prayer closet time, but I always get excited for a couple of days, then it fizzles out. I never get to the place of it being a discipline, something enjoyable, seeing fruit. What are some practical ways I can grow in this area? 
Good question. Uh, common struggle. Yeah. And I think part of the basis of that struggle is that we have kind of a perfectionistic view of prayer. First of all, I think we need to understand what prayer is, and prayer is simply me being conversant with God. And I can pray with God when I'm driving in the car, when I'm sitting in an airplane, when I'm uh, just by myself, you know, in, in the morning. In fact, my personal devotional time is I, I have first my time with God. I read His Word, and I sit and I contemplate the things of the Lord. And then my wife and I have a formal time that we pray together every day, uh, which are, are really two different things. But the simple fact is that uh, it's not something that is necessarily, I would even describe as a discipline. It would be like my sale, like saying I have to develop the discipline to go home and have dinner with my wife. Mm. Uh, she would not be happy with that perspective, and it really would say that something is terribly wrong here. Yeah. So I think many times in our effort to make it into a discipline, we kill it. Mm -hmm. And then we start measuring our performance and criticizing yourself, well, I missed today, or I fell a failed to do it. And I just tell people that it's like everything in life. You may move, a, roll along for a while getting something, and then you mess up and you make a mistake. Well, just pick up where you left off. Yeah. It's not like you're losing ground, per se. But I, I, I think that we just put so much pressure on ourselves, and we make it not enjoyable. Yeah. Because I, to me, uh, it, it has become not something that I have to do. It's, it's something that I... I can't imagine not doing. I, I don't know, how do you function without being able to converse with God? Yeah, yeah. And I think that if we know God, we come to that place with Him where it's just this uh, free-flowing conversation. And I tell people there's not a physical posture. You know, some people say you've got to be on your knees. Well, my knees start hurting after a while, <laughs> quite honestly. Uh, you know, and, and you, you know, I I change my posture, my physical position based upon whatever I'm feeling or even what whatever's in front of me. So. I just, again, I, I have simple little recommendations to people. I say that start by reading the Word, and then let your prayer jump off of what God has just ministered to yeah. you in your Scriptures, yeah. and let that be the basis of your conversation. Don't measure your effectiveness by how long you pray. Right. Some of the most powerful prayers in the Bible are some of the shortest prayers. Mm -hmm. So you you can't put those arbitrary uh, constrictions on it, saying you got to pray this much, you got to pray in this place, you got to pray in this posture. That's what makes it into a religion. That's what turns it into what Paul referred to in the Colossians as being will worship. I worship the power of my own willpower. God wants to worship him in spirit and truth. And so I I think that there's a relaxed casualness about it. When I read the Gospels, I, I see Jesus suddenly just entering into conversation with the Father, just just yeah. talking to the Father, you know, and, and catching his disciples off guard because it's such a free-flowing conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was in constant, continuous communication with the Father, and uh, essentially, I think that becomes our model. Well, and along those lines, I think that um, we tend to put these parameters on on uh, reading the Bible. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I need to read at least one chapter a day. Mm -hmm. Well, to your point, he may speak very com completely and clearly to you in that first the first sentence of that chapter, and he may not want you to go through the whole chapter or uh, the whole book or whatever the case may be, and understanding that moment when you read something that really has an impact to you, stopping at that point and saying, God, what is it you're trying to say to me? That becomes a powerful prayer life instead of following a regimen that says, I have to get yeah. through a chapter or two chapters or a book before I start praying. Well, I think it's one of the weaknesses for many people in their reading the Scriptures. They just are plowing through the text. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I remember one time I was stuck in an airport in India for hours, 
And so I thought, well, I'm just going to read my Bible. I ended up you know, reading my Bible for about four hours straight without stopping, without even realizing what I was doing. What it turned out was that I basically had filled my tanks yeah. because when I finally got to my, designa- my, my location that I was going to be teaching at, I taught 26 times in 12 days oh. <laughs> and, oh. and had very little time in between for research or study or teaching or anything. But I found that that was a reservoir wow. that God had created that moment. And he created the hunger that just kept on reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And then that became the place from which it flowed. So uh, I, I think to your point, it's when we, we, we begin to turn the relationship into a discipline. Yeah. And that's where I think we, we get, uh, it stops being fun at that point. Trainers will tell you that when you work out physically that you should change your routine because your body gets used to it and won't respond to yeah. that same repetition. And I think that the same can be true. Uh, reading your Bible and praying is is working out. It's working out with Jesus for him. And that you've got to change. You, you can't, the moment that you put a structure around it and a definition of this is exactly how I do it every time is the moment that you've lost the the whole impact of, of having God speak to yeah. you in his way, in yeah. his own time. Absolutely. And I find that, you know, we've got to be careful in how I say this, but I think that God can speak to you from a lot of different channels. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Variation and change. Radio, TV. What kind of channels are we talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that might be obviously the way. And I, I don't know. People oftentimes say, "Where where do you come up with these bits of piece of information and research and stuff?" And, and I thought about that. I thought, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, going out looking for something. I'm very eclectic in what I read, what Mm -hmm. I watch, and I just absorb information. And I find that God directs me to certain bits and pieces of information that serve to help illustrate what I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. And I and I, I really think there's a divine dimension to that. Yeah. I think um, uh, one of the challenges that I have is that so often when I get up and I, I go to start my quiet time and I open up the Bible and I start reading, there's so many things from the day that are coming at me, and mm-hmm. I can't imagine I'm the only person who struggles with that. I, I find myself, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll read two paragraphs and realize I, I don't even know what I just read because I'm thinking about all these things I have in front of me. And one of the things that helps me is just to stop and pray, God, please, you know, uh, take those distractions away. Help me to speak clearly through your word and help me to focus on that. And, uh, and he's faithful to do it, but, uh, but I know that's always a challenge. Well, I, I do the same thing, except I do one additional thing. I usually get a, note, a piece of paper and a, note, a pen, and I write down all those things that are weighing heavy oh, on my call. mind. Yeah. And I transfer the heaviness of them. So I, my fear is I'm going to forget yes, something. Yes, that's why. And yeah, so exactly. I write all those things down. I do that when I wake up in the middle of the night and can't yep. sleep. I go downstairs to my study and I just make a list of all the things that are on my mind. It's amazing how many times I wake up in the morning and thinking, <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> I think there was a Seinfeld episode about that. <laughs> oh, well, it probably was, yeah. <laughs> Good no, but, stuff. Well, I, 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 go ahead. You're no, gonna... I was just going to say what you're saying, though, is asking God just to quiet your mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it helps. Well, hopefully these tips have helped. Well, this brings us to the end of our current podcast, and I hope that our responses to the questions that you submitted were helpful. If you found them to be worthwhile and this a good investment of your time, we encourage you to write a review and uh, send us your comments. This is a forum in which we're looking to have a dialogue with those who listen. If you have questions that you would like us to answer, we'd encourage you to submit those. Uh, You can do that easily by just going to our website at www.calvaryspokane.com. And we'll take them as they come in. 
Just about any question is okay, but we just like to say that we try to answer biblical questions. Uh, I can't give you financial advice or medical advice, but I can tell you what the Bible has to say. Uh, We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can join with us regularly as we continue to answer your questions with what we believe are real biblical answers.